Another Sandbox episode of the Master of One podcast. This week we talk to the incredibly talented UX UI designer, Hiba. I'm Andrew, your Master of Art and Design. And I'm Patrick, your Master of Television and Film. So get ready for another incredible episode because this one's about to come at you. Take that, child. Sandbox episode, we're excited to talk to somebody who we met briefly and we've been wanting to talk to for so, so long, and we finally got the schedules together. This week, we talked to adolescent martial artist and incredibly talented UX UI designer, Hibba Abdelkader. Everybody, welcome Hibba to the show. I think the phrase adolescent martial artist sounds like she goes around just punching kids in the face. We don't know she doesn't. That's the thing. I mean, you know what I mean? I have two kids, you know. I mean, that might be like a a strategy you use. So what is the martial arts, the martial artist part of you? Yeah. So um, when I was uh, finishing high school, getting into college, I started to I wanted to start working out. And um, I wanted to do something, didn't want to waste my time. And I started doing that. And it was really fun. Uh, when I moved to the States, the, my trainer actually wanted me to do it professionally. And I was like, I kind of like my face. So yeah. no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I would think I would choose having a face over pretty much anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's I mean, what I did. Just as a a standard rule. Patrick, I think maybe you could go either way. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, so what it, never mind. It doesn't matter. So, uh, Hibba, how did Andrew do on your last name? What's the, what's the score? Zero to 10. I think he did about a six. But. Ouch. But for, no, no, no. But for, for the, the, uh, Americanization of it, how did I do? Okay, how about this? I'm going to say my name the correct way. I'm going to have you repeat it, okay. and then we'll, we'll score it from there. So okay. my last name in Arabic is Abdul Qadir. Right, and, and then, but, so I'm going to say this, and there's a <laughs> caveat. You did, you did, Carter. <laughs> um, you did tell me the, uh, the Americanized version of it, which is what I tried, which yes. I said Abdul Qadir. Yes, that's, that's, still, that's still six. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> but if I were to try the Arabic version, would I get a lower score? That's what I need to know. Well, let's see. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> on, on air. Abdel Qadr. So, uh, Abdel Qadr. Abdel Qadr. There you go. A one is perfect. <laughs> you sounded like Schwarzenegger for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just move on from that because uh, yeah. this isn't about how terrible I am at uh, pronunciations. This is about you. So why don't you get us kicked off by giving us a quick Wikipedia page about you? Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and what you do. 
Hi. Um, so I am a user experience designer. I've been in the industry for the last five years. I have a background in architecture. Um, I went to school actually for architecture and graphic design, and, and I'm a self-taught user experience designer. I've been in the U.S. for about 11 years. Um, I have two kids. I've been married for 11 years as well. And um, before living in the U.S., um, I actually lived in Jordan. And I am of Palestinian heritage. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Which is where that Arabic comes from. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've been here for 11 years. Uh, <laughs> and you, I mean, you've been married for 11 years. So in being in America, what's the biggest, like, uh, I don't want to say what's the biggest difference because there's probably a lot, but what's the, the most stark contrast of being here versus being a professional um, overseas? I was never a professional overseas, so I would not know how to answer okay. to that. Um, yeah, but I do. There was a huge amount of culture shock. And the biggest one is the fact that people actually open the door for one another um, and <laughs> don't, don't stack up. Um, uh, you know, lines are actual lines here um, back home. If you're in a line, it means you're on top of people trying to get to a window. Oh, yes. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, you would not last. Exactly. Uh, there's no such thing as your turn. Um, you know, uh, survival of the fittest is back there. So you weren't a professional there. You've transitioned over here and then you went to UCF, which I, Andrew, you didn't go to UCF, did you? I did not, but my brother-in-law went to UCF and he is, uh, like I said, pre, pre-interview, he is an avid, uh, a, an enthusiastic alumnist is what I would call him because I'm he doesn't he doesn't live in Florida anymore. He doesn't live in Central Florida. He lives in Arkansas, but he still has season tickets and flies to all of their home games or at least as many of them as he can I, get to. See, wow. I'm just so suspicious. I don't know. I graduated the the college that I graduated from and uh, and so now I get the letters. I mean, I think I got my first letter in the mail asking me for money within like 3 months of my graduation. I mean, yep. I'm I I'm still paying you lots of money right now yeah. i for some reason i'm completely no- annoyed by the whole idea i i don't know why the idea of like i'm not paying anybody anything <laughs> that's what but, i'm saying okay like. yeah i'm done we're done paying for school i went to school for 10 years okay so <laughs> i'm way past done so you're a doctor <laughs> supposedly yeah um i did two years in jordan two years uh at valencia um one year at uc uc usf and then took a year off and then four years at um ucf so you just love you love school like that's that's you just love it you love always giving money to people to learn things i love I love proving people wrong. You know how many people told me I will never get my bachelor's degree? That's exactly why I continued. So within your, within your family or like in what circles? Um, so not my immediate family, but, you know, like second and third uh, cousins and uncles and aunts and all of these people. Um, being Middle Eastern, it's not really expected of um, – women, uh, at least around my age to continue with their education once they get married, you know, usually you get married, you have kids, you know, you need to focus on your family. And I was raised with, um, education in mind. So my dad engraved that in me and the way my dad raised me was very, very, um, 
gender neutral. So um, I consider myself as his oldest boy because that's how he raised me. But technically, like, you know, I'm a female, right? So but when it comes to like confidence and and determination and goals and dreams and all that, um, it's the typical male that would have all of those. Yeah. So the the stuff that I see with your site, um, when I look through um, like the design project or I see the phrase embrace your weird uh, things like that. Is that where it stems from is from your father's influence as a, as a kid growing up? Yeah, absolutely. When I first moved to the States, everybody recommended that I um, not tell anybody where I'm from um, okay. to protect myself. Obviously, you know, after 9-11 and everything that's happened afterwards, it's been very hard on, you know, being Middle, Middle Eastern. So uh, for me, uh, for the longest time, I protected my identity. Where are you from? I would say... Jordan, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't even say Palestine. Um, and if I can, you know, help, help it, I would say Middle Eastern and just there, stop there. Um, and, uh, it was very difficult for me because I didn't really know anybody else outside of like my inner circle. And then, um, the more I got into school, especially once I got into the graphic design program and, um, surrounded myself with like diverse, people, whether it's culturally or ethnicity or whatever it is, um, they started asking me questions and I didn't want to lie anymore. I yeah. just wanted to tell them the truth. And the more I told them the truth, the more they were interested, the more I actually embraced myself. So now if anybody asks me, I just tell them the truth. I don't, I don't spin it around or anything. So where does your, um, the little bit that I have met and talked to you, you seem very assertive. Where does, where does, where does that come from? And do you see yourself that way? Um, so I understand what the word assertive mean, but the way you're using it, I don't understand what it means. So can you well, explain? So for instance, one of the, um, my earliest memories of our relationship was you saying, Hey, I want to be on, your, I want to be on the show. Put me on your podcast. It was like that quick and that casual. I, and I don't think I knew anything about the work you had done or anything. And so I, but the way you said it, I just felt like, okay, yeah, we have to talk to her on the podcast. Absolutely. Someone that says it that way, we need to talk to. So, so that like that attitude, where does, where does that come from? Yeah. So, um, that's a good question. I, I don't know where it comes from, but I do know that I've developed into it. I was very introverted when I was younger, and I slowly grew into becoming an extrovert. And I learned the hard way is in order for me to get what I want, I have to ask for it. I, I can't like yeah. I can't uh, beat around the bush. I have to ask straight up for it. And what's the worst that's going to happen? You are just going to say no. And so... I'll try again next time. You know what I mean? Um, and I think because of that mentality, um, I have been able to do a lot. You know, I have been able to get on multiple shows. I've been with that mentality. I was able to get on to the Creative South stage as well. So that's kind of how um, I approach my professional career. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. So you just you just mentioned it. So that gets you onto the Creative South stage, and cr the Creative South stage is not a um, it's not a a small feat, right? I mean, you're in front of about just under nine hundred other creative professionals, and 
if they've brought you there, that means that that their team believes you have something to say and something to add to the conversation. What is that that you bring to the conversation? Um, I when I approached Mike, because I actually uh, approached Mike the same way I approached you, and I told him like, "Hey, Mike." I would like to speak next year, and this is what I see that's missing. And the story behind all that was we went to Creative South, and we were around um, 40 to 50 UCF students, and all of the talks were amazing. They were very inspirational, but what was missing is everybody already talked about what they've already accomplished. They never kind of talked about, you know, how did they make that jump from you know, school to career. And I wanted to address that since I was graduating that year. And since I've already, uh, you know, managed to land three job opportunities with three big companies, I wanted to tell that story and what happens afterwards. And basically my connection to the younger audience is what made me different. And, um, that's basically what, um, Mike liked about yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, completely not take your advice and let's talk a bit about what you've done for a bit. Um, the UI UX. So what was any part of your schooling? Did it revolve around that or, or were you in a more classical art degree? I earned a graphic design degree, uh, which my graphic design degree, when you get the degree, just says arts. Um, sure. But I was, I'm a self-taught user experience designer and we t- had one UI UX project in all of graphic design that I got to do, but um, I loved it. I loved the fact that I was um, very, it felt very intuitive to me. I love the fact that you get to learn about people, you get to learn about, you know, how they interact with things. And um, I studied, you know, five years of architecture and I actually worked in architecture and, and I felt like I wasted that degree. Um, well, the t- studying and um, I, when I found UI UX, I basically was able to use that experience in order to have an edge in UI UX. So now I basically, I used to help people um, navigate through physical spaces and now I help them navigate through um, digital spaces and I love that. Yeah, that's great. So how closely do you work with a developer when you're working or what level of development knowledge do you have? Um, What's that relationship? So how many of the decisions are you kind of making for yourself and then also making for whoever you're handing this off to? Okay, so for me, I have tried to learn um, how to code for the longest time. I've taken all the classes. I understand a lot of the concepts, but for some reason, as soon as I sit down in front of a screen, I don't know how to do anything. Um, I don't know why, but that's the case. But um, I work very well with developers because I understand the different concepts and I actually talk to them. Like we sit down, we talk. Uh, what works, what doesn't work? Where can we push the limit? Um, we also, what I, I love to do, and, and this is also where my architecture background comes into play, is I love to build foundations. So I love to build systems. And developers love that because they can build it once and then use it multiple times. So I've done it for the developers. I've also done it for the design themselves. So I have helped um, uh, build our UI kit and our design system uh, with my team. Yeah. Do you ever find it limiting? Um, for instance, Andrew, if you sit down or, or Hiba, if you sit down and let's say you're, you're painting something or digital illustration, something like that, your limitation is, is your own ability. Whereas if you're sitting down to design an interface that's going to be implemented by a developer, 
you may have limitations that are not what you can conceive and what you can, what you can, uh, you know, put down on, you know, sketch paper, whatever. Um, but there may be actual digital limit limitations to what can be, um, implemented. Um, how does, do you think about that a lot? How does that affect your work? So what I, what I love about my job right now, so we're part of the research and development as well. So the experience team handles, um, innovation. Um, and we are, always trying to look at new technology. So artificial intelligence is something that we're looking into. Um, conversational design is also something we're looking into. And when you're you know, dealing with um, something as interesting as building a conversation in order to help the user accomplish a task, I feel like the limitations, uh, there is no boundary there. So um, I understand when you're talking about the digital screen itself, but we're, we're kind of past that right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to know what, what – um, so two things. One, Patrick is excited right now because you are one of three, maybe four maybe. guests we've ever had who knows what he's talking about. So that's good. Um, but the whole UX, UI world, that is far beyond me. That's far beyond Luke. Um, uh, so he's excited. But something you said – I don't, I don't know most of what you're talking about, so I'm going to ask questions, right? So the thing that, that you said that I kind of keyed in on, I understand um, artificial intelligence. I've heard that before. Conversational design. What does that mean? So Alexa and okay. Hello Google. Okay. Um, in order to design for them, you have to create that conversation, so you have to build that conversation. You have to build all of the different outcomes. Um, and then what are the ones, what, what is the um, phrases that are going to be kind of like your call to action? Uh, so for example, um, Alexa, transfer $200 to you know, my brother's bank account. You know, that transfer is a trigger word that right. is going to tell Alexa to move money. And then obviously you have to con confirm it and all that. We're still playing around with this. We're still testing it. Um, uh, but it is definitely very interesting. Okay, I, like so to, to, I like to imagine that half of our users just inadvertently had Alexa transfer $200 to their brother's bank account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For anybody who's not listening with headphones, it just did that for them. That's, that's incredible. Alexa, put cheese curds on my shopping list. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because, you know, we have, to, we have to look at problems like my son not saying, Alexa, please transfer $200 to my bank account, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so how do you approach that from a from a problem solving standpoint? Because design is all problem solving, right? I mean, you're just trying to you're trying to solve a problem, whether you're doing it through UX and UI, through graphic design, through painting, through whatever it is, whatever your your field is, you're just problem solving. How do you, as you're venturing into these new waves of technology, what what are you and your team looking at when it comes to problem solving? How do you approach those those things? Um, we do a lot of user testing, user interviewing, um, and you got to take into consideration there's a lot of authentication um, technology out there. So uh, voice recognition, facial recognition, um, you, you know, your 
thumbprints. Um, we look at all of those and see what's the best option for us that's available to us at that time and what is in the market. And, and then we take that and we test it. We have to test and reiterate. And that's basically how we go about it. Now, the tougher question is, when do you know to stop testing and then move forward? Right. That's a bigger challenge. And implementation. Like when, because mm-hmm. with, with software, I imagine it's, it maybe is even more the case than when you're doing traditional design or paint, you know, fine fine art, where there's always more you can do to it, but there is kind of a finishing point. With technology, you can be iterating in perpetuity, right? You can be iterating mm-hmm. forever because technology will continue to advance in technology. So you've got to learn to be able just to, to push things. And I'm I don't envy people in your field because that would drive me nuts because I'm a completionist. And so well, your I industry be... has to complicate it as well because you're in the banking industry, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So security is huge. So we got to keep that in mind. Yeah. So you right. can't just roll something out even if it's not quote unquote perfect because we secure... can just roll something out. We're not going to affect anyone. Right. It's fine. We're just, we're, yeah. we, we literally no one day. will hear it or know that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> no. And believe me, believe me when you're getting those, um, the feedback messages from your customers that are like, I'm going to leave if you guys don't fix this. Right. Like you got to be on it, you know? Um, but you're dealing with people's li- livelihood. I mean, it, it is not, it, it's not easy when somebody works all day and all night to make a hundred dollars, you know, that is, to them, it's so sacred. And for us, we, we really keep that in mind. And we treat every penny like it's worth a million dollars. And that's very important. So on that point, because, I mean, I think the word to, to summarize that is empathy. You have a great deal of empathy for the person that, that you represent, that you're working on behalf of. I see that same uh, idea in the By Design Project, this idea of, curiosity for people, empathy for their situation. And, and I see this in your mentors, mentorship as well of how do I help someone in, in uh, you know, bridge the gap between who they are and what they want and that type of thing. So maybe talk to us a bit about um, the By Design Project and where that came from. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, when, when people start to ask me questions about myself and the more stories I told them, the more that they were in awe. And then I would ask them about themselves, like, okay, where are you from? What's your heritage? What's your background? And then we'd have these very interesting conversations, but I didn't want to just learn about people. I wanted to understand how does your upbringing, culture, heritage, your background influenced the way that you approach problem solving. That was my question. That was like my thesis statement. So basically, I, you know, contacted all of my friends. A lot of the people on my podcast, most of them are my friends, people that I've met and people I've interacted with. And I actually got to know them even better just from the one hour that I spent with them learning a little bit more about themselves and their background and believe it, believe me. Okay. I don't know how to say the phrase, but, um, they got to learn more about themselves because I would let them know, Hey, I, I know you are of a a different background or of an ethnic background, whether you're Irish or, you know, uh, Puerto Rican, whatever it is. 
Um, and I know you've lived here forever and you feel like you don't ha have a culture, um, but I want you on the show and I want you to tell me the different traditions that you have. And then what they would do is they would go call up their grandma, call up their mom, you know, get to learn a little bit more about their own culture. And then all of a sudden they, they have this awesome conversation with like their mom or their grandma. And they're like, oh my God, I didn't know about the, like, I didn't know this about us or about myself or that's why we do certain things. And um, what I loved, loved, loved is the fact that I'm all the way, you know, I grew up in Jordan. I have, I'm a Palestinian um, heritage and I've met people through my show who have the same exact customs that I do, that I was considered weird. So to me, that's where the whole embrace your weird comes from because, you know, your weird is what makes you special. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, do you consider yourself an anthropologist? I love that store. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, see, I don't know what that means. Oh, so an anthropologist is a person who studies societies and people kind of past, present, you know, future, um, and tries to, um, has tries to derive a deeper understanding of, of people, uh, through that. Would you consider yourself that? No, I think I'm, I'm more of a curious person. I just would consider myself very curious, um, I haven't gone into into depth that way. I, if anything, I would consider my myself a um, aerospace enthusiast. <laughs> um, so that's me. Like um, um, Neil deGrasse is like my man. <laughs> yeah. So so you're um, more a fan of the hard sciences. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so, you know, physics and math is is more my thing. But I do. I am very curious about people. I love to learn about people. I will sit there and ask you all the questions. And that's the thing about me. And I don't know if we had like a heart to heart conversation, but I'm more than happy like to answer any of your in depth super personal questions that you guys ask me because like I'm just open like that as long as you don't judge me you know I don't yeah. I don't like to be you know I don't like to have my heart on my sleeve and then have somebody judge me that breaks my heart to oh, the sure. core you know yeah. in yeah. talking in talking to people um do you think there's a uh kind of a common hang up that people sh uh people share or like is there a common um uh, fear that you found that that runs through the stories of the people you've talked to? It's funny because um, a lot of the times I actually have to meet with my um, my guests like a week or two in advance and actually have a one hour session just to kind of ease them and let them know that they're going to be in a peaceful space, that a non-judgmental space. And um, no matter what, when it comes to culture and traditions, everybody's always nervous that they're going to get judged. And to me, I, I'm, I just want you to be empowered by that. I want you to be empowered by, you know, how you grew up, your background, you know, where you come from, all the weird little things that you guys, you know, did growing up, um, eating grapes at midnight, New Year's, 12 grapes just to have good luck or throwing water uh, the, the, the day after New Year's in front of your um, door just to get rid of all of the negative energy. Like that's, I love it. I think it's so cool. I don't think it's weird at all. And to be, to me, weird is like my favorite word. I think it just means that you're special and unique and different and no one's like you. 
so you, you talked earlier about how you kind of broke your cultural norm, um, at least your the, the culture that you came from, the cultural norm, by by being more, uh, by going to school and proving people wrong and, and, uh, being more like your, your father's oldest son, as opposed to the traditional daughter, does it break the stereotypical, um, cultural norms for you to be, uh, this open with people? Oh my God. It's such a big deal. It is a huge deal. I mean, one of another things other than being assertive, um, Patrick, um, one of the things that I do is when I have an idea that shakes me, like scares me to the core, I'm like, I am going to do it, you know? And, um, the idea of the, the video podcast has been, um, festering in my mind for two years before I even started recording. And I was just scared. I was terrified because I don't know how few, how people are going to react to me being on video, being on YouTube, talking about, you know, my culture, talking about my traditions, talking about, you know, being 100% honest. It was completely different when I was in the safe environment between my friends, but then this is recorded. My right. Middle Eastern family, um, you know, extended family, everybody in the village is going to have access to it. What are they going to say? And I had a private uh, newsletter for, you know, my subscribers. And um, when I launched, I sent a letter out that talked about my crippling cultural fear. And it addresses it. And now it's on Medium. I have it on Medium if you guys are interested in reading it. But it talks about how terrified I was that somebody is going to be like, look at, um, AB's wife, what she's doing and how she's putting all of, um, her business out there. Yeah. And to me, like, that's a big deal. Like, I don't want anybody to talk about, you know, me, like, um, honor is a big thing. You know, um, my, I don't want anybody to speak of my husband or my kids badly. So to me, I had to, um, solve for how do I do this? And at the same time, make sure that nobody says anything bad about my family. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a big deal, man. Well, so one more thing, uh, one, one final thing before we go to our final questions. Um, how does this all, and I'll let Patrick pick up his final question after this. Um, but, uh, how does this all tie in to the idea of mentorship and how is mentorship different than just hearing somebody's story and, and diving into the intricacies, the weirdness, uh, the uniqueness of people's stories. How, how does mentorship break off from that and become its own unique thing? Yeah. So the whole idea of me starting to mentor was when I, I was in school for 10 years. So I feel, I felt like I, I hacked it. I figured it out. But one of the things that I kept hearing was go out and find a mentor, go and find somebody that's going to look at your work, um, find someone that you can ask questions to. And to me, as a student, I was terrified, like, how am I, how, who am I going to reach out to? So I, you know, had the idea of, well, what about the designers becoming accessible to the students and breaking that barrier? And so I, I literally videotaped myself, put a call out to um, all of my social media. And I was like, hey, I'm interested in mentoring you. I would like for you to be a part of my focus group. And um, I currently have about 24 people. I've maxed it at that because it's it's hard to kind of help sure. more than that. Yeah. Um, 
and hopefully uh, eventually I would like to um, take it to where I'm, I'm mentoring via video so kind of like on YouTube similar to what Christo does on the future um, and for me I think it's important because um, the whole you know, doing my video podcast of by design and putting myself out there. This is another way for me to put myself out there and help somebody else um, in their design, you know, instead of just in their, you know, culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So jumping into final questions, uh, but quickly, how often do you break out the uh, traditional Palestinian uh, celebration outfit? Is that like four times a year? If that comes out, <laughs> if I'm there over the summer, then it's every day, every day. And then, uh, but here it's usually for invited to a wedding. So yeah, that's the only time. Holy cow. Yeah. It's, did you like, did you like hand make that or something? Do people have to make their own or. Okay. So, oh my God, you are asking all the right questions right now. But, um, when I went to my brother's wedding last year, I videotaped the whole experience and, um, it was a three day wedding and, um, I promised that I would make it into a, uh, uh, docu-series. So that's going to come sometime, uh, soon. But basically, uh, one of the things that I actually had to experience was the cap. And I don't know if you've seen a picture, but I have the cap that has gold coins and basically those are our savings. Um, <laughs> and the cap is actually sewed by hand by a seamstress and the seamstress is uh, in her 90s. And Whoa. she stitches the cap on your head so it's custom to your yeah. head size. And once she stitches it, that's it. You just wear it as a cap. Um, that lives in the bank um, back home. So, but we take those out like at like uh, your brother's wedding, your cousin's wedding, like your intimate um, uh, family members. And then the dresses themselves take forever to be stitched together. And you have a team of four women sometimes putting it together. Um, some ladies are working on the side. Some ladies are working on the chest area and then they stitch it all together. Um, and then they size you and make sure that it fits you correctly. So then it becomes custom to you. And those run uh, between one to $3,000. So, wait, so you literally, so the coins that are on the hat, I mean, those are, those are actually valuable. Yeah. Each one. So uh, each coin is a piece of actual 24 karat gold and um, they're called leras, which is like a dollar or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, um, the it's per weight. And when my mom got married, they were less than a hundred dollars each. And now they're like approaching $400. Um, but when you get engaged, um, it's part of the dowry. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's a gift to the bride. It's not a gift to the parents. So yeah. Man. I no, I think that's fantastic. So one other question. Um, so at the beginning, we were talking about you, the pronunciation of your last name um, for probably a bit too long. Does that stuff drive you crazy? I mean, do you is that annoying to you or is it frustrating or do you find it funny or is it old at this point? Like, how do you feel about those type of interactions? My guess is that's primarily what your interaction is with people typically. Um, I feel since I'm living in the States that Hiba is unique enough for me to be a single name person. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love my last name, but for, uh, for the sake of privacy, you know, my family and all that, I, I like to not put it onto any of the social medias. Um, plus it's really hard to pronounce. Yeah, so sure. I'd rather people not butcher it. Um, 
Also, uh, my husband's last name is Abraham, and um, he would have preferred me to use that. But again, the whole woman growing up as a older son, I I was very adamant on keeping my last name. So, um, yeah, Yeah. but for the sake of privacy, I like to keep my first name. But it didn't bother you that uh, Andrew couldn't pronounce it? No, I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) I thought it was highly (laughs) offensive, but we'll just... Really? No, not to me. (laughs) I don't get offended easily. I get from you that you're, that you are, you're strong, confident in, in yourself and, um, you have a, a really deep sense of pride and value in um, not just where you are, but where you're from. And, and that, that has permeated through this whole conversation. So for me, I would think um, you would understand the heart, I would hope, behind yeah. me trying uh, my, my attempt at it. And uh, that that would stave off any kind of uh, frustration. That would but be you my know, I hope. I do want to say, though, I think that's a good distinction, what you just said, Andrew. The, the point is not... So the idea of, you know, you, you going further with your education or choosing to keep your name or stuff like that, the point is in no way to snub the culture you're from. You're, you're incredibly proud of your heritage and you want other people to be proud of their heritage the way that you are of your own. Um, you also want people to um, be strong and go after their dreams. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's something that's coupled with the other. They're not at odds with each other. Uh, they're working together. And uh, that is a very, very cool thing. It's so. funny um, that you said that because I think of myself as my multicultural. You know, um, yeah. I am an American. I was born here. I'm very proud of being an American. But at the same time, I cannot, you know, um, dismiss where I grew up, which is Jordanian, which is Jordanians and Palestinians sometimes don't get along, you know. But then I can't also dismiss where my family you know, came from. There are hundreds of years in, um, you know, growing up and living in Palestine. So to me, I feel like I'm multicultural. And for me, one of the messages that I I want people to um, take away from my podcast is I want you guys to listen positively. Just listen, you know, don't think about being offended. Don't think about that person. Oh, he, you know, said something that made you feel uncomfortable Listen to the person and listen with um, positive ears, with a full open heart. And believe me, we would have much deeper, better conversations. Yeah. Listening with a bias towards empathy as opposed to listening with a bias towards frustration or differences. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Here's my final question. And it is the other side of the token in terms of importance. So I recognize that what we just said was very, very uh, important. What you just said was very important. Um, what I'm getting ready to ask isn't. So just recognize they're not on the same. They're not on the same level. Behind you, I see a whole plethora of DKNG, uh, like little mini print, like postcards on the wall. And so I can't go this conversation without asking, what are the design, uh, the designers that you look to look to for inspiration that you look to um, that are driving you forward, that are giving you new ideas and fresh ideas? Um, obviously. DK and uh, NG and um, I uh, I look for the designers in my community. So I am part of multiple communities: uh, the San Diego Digital Designers, the AIGA uh, community, uh, the Creative South community, and um, the people that have accomplished the most are the people the closest to me and the people that I have access to. They're the ones that inspire me every day. 
you know? So for me, it's silly to sit down and talk about how I love uh, Jessica Walsh or Debbie Millman, who I adore, you know, they, they are people that I aspire to, um, you know, accomplish the things that they've accomplished. Obviously they're not UX designers, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything, but you know, um, they're the people that I look up to. They're the people that inspire me. And it's not about the work, you know, not the stuff that they put out, but their spirit. It's more about like their persistence to continue to grow. And that's something that I focus on. Like, how do I continue to grow? How do I continue to evolve? To me, that's better than putting something out there that's going to get a million likes or whatever the issue, right. you know. But yeah. what happened to the space print? There was a print on your video <laughs> feed that was over your like left shoulder and I don't see it there anymore. Okay. So recently I was invited to Adobe Live and as a thank you to the the people that were in the live chat, I wanted to give them something that was a part of me, a part of, you know, my my journey in the by design project. And basically I gave I gave away the prints that were behind me. Oh man. man. You're so giving we should have had this conversation a couple of months ago, and then you could have given those prints to us. Um, so your uh, y- your story, what you're doing, is incredibly uh, inspiring, incredibly helpful. And whether you whether you know it or not, or admit to it or not, you are at least a hobbyist anthropologist because your care for people <laughs> and society is so deep. Um, I was hoping to kind of toss that out there, and you say, "Absolutely, I see myself as that." You didn't do that, but I'm going to diagnose you as a a hobbyist anthropologist. Um, Tell everybody where they can find you. They can follow you. They can support what you're doing um, and and, and track with all the stuff that that you're up to. Absolutely. You can find me on all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, um, even on LinkedIn at Hibba by Design. I'm on Dribbble at Hibba and my website is HibbaByDesign.com. Hibba, one name like Cher or Bono. Yeah, I like it. uh, so w- before we get out of here, uh, we just, again, want to say thank you for being open with us, for talking with us about all this stuff. Thank you for what you're putting out uh, into the world because you're making it a better situation for people. And uh, it's, it's so exciting to see that happen. Um, so thanks for chatting with us. Thank you, guys. Okay, we're going to get out of this episode. You can find all the show notes and links to the stuff that we talked about, including that post that you have on Medium that you referenced. That's going to be in our show notes. So go to mofonepodcast.com to find the show notes for that. You can find us on social media everywhere at mofonepodcast. Like, subscribe, share, follow. Do all the internet things that you know to do because that's how internet works, and we all know how internet works. So do that, um, not just to us, but do it with Hibba as well. Um, but uh, I think we're going to get out of this episode you're listening to this we're right now in portland thanks to our good friends at Tranter gray um and so we we didn't mention this luke's not here um but we uh we are all in portland together living it up with no no no. we're still we're still a week early aren't we no this comes out on the ninth no yes this comes out on the ninth so next week we'll be in uh (laughs) portland (laughs) thanks to our friends it's, you know, time is relative. That's what I've learned recently. <laughs> That's the deep... when, when is this going live? This goes uh, live. Today on... is August 9th. There today, we go. Today is August 9th. You're right. So we're one week. Next week we'll be in Portland. Come join us. <laughs> yes. So... Um, uh, 
hit our yeah. hit up our social media and you'll see when all of our meetup is and all that stuff. If you're going to be at Pop Up Crop, we'll be there. Um, I, like I said, uh, from our friends uh, at Tranter Gray, those awesome guys and gals who do um, incredible production stuff. They're Emmy award, multiple Emmy award winning Tranter Gray. That's how I should say it every time I say it. multiple that Emmy. That does award sound winning. more impressive. It does. I mean, once you get an Emmy, I kind of feel like it needs to be in your title moving forward. Just like when you get a doctor, when you get a, like an MD, you have to be called doctor moving forward. Or I if get, you've gone to school for 10 years. Right. You get an honorary doctorate. <laughs> I exactly. think that's honorary at that point. Yeah. It's like common law marriage. It's yeah. common law doctorate after yeah, 10 years. Yeah, common law for doctorate, sure. uh, HIBA. All right. We are going to get out of this episode, though. I'm Andrew. I'm Patrick. And I'm HIBA. Peace out. Bye. Ma salame. Ma salame.